the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. host lee walker joining me today nwa legend wrestling legend rugged ron garvin ron how you doing today oh i'm doing good could be better but it costs more money so i'm okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah there ain't nothing free in this world and uh I, i refer to you as an nwa legend if you look fans if you go and you look at ron's stats Every territory you went to, Ron, it seemed like you held just about every title that was there within the NWA. Uh, oh, I'm trying to wipe them out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that perch on the top row. Yeah. I remember when I got on the top row, I was always losing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ron, I got to ask, what was it like to be trained by WWE Hall of Famer Pat Patterson? And what was his training style like? Well, I'm not glad you asked me that. It never happened. Never happened? I've been, I've been, I've been reading this fucking story. This is such bullshit. Yeah. I mean, he was gone when I broke in. He's three years older than me. We live about six blocks away. And he was already gone. And I was, it was Pat Gerard, not Pat Patterson. Yeah, the internet everywhere has it down as Pat Patterson, so... Well, I know, you can't believe a word, it's all fake news these days. Nobody can write a damn story in the proper way. I mean, it's Pat Gerard. And the guy was a big star in England, and uh, he was a coach where I went to learn how to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was a real wrestler, you know. And uh, what's his name? It's not Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson was already gone. I, I mean, I probably would have been... Well, if he would have talked to me, like I say, he was gone. I didn't see Pat Patterson until probably seven or eight years after I broke into business. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah he was on the West Coast. He was on the West Coast. He went He went to Boston. I went to Boston. But he was gone when I went to Boston. He'd been gone. And uh, he went to the West Coast. And I never went to the West Coast. Oh, wow. All right. except, one, except one time. I think I was out there two or three days. I just didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were primarily known um, to stay down in like the the southern territories, like Georgia, uh, Alabama, and Kentucky, and stuff like that. I, I mean, aside from the NWA, you were also part of uh, uh, Angelo Poffo's uh, International Championship Wrestling, which you had some great feuds, and one of them being with Randy Savage. Uh, well, I part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was part of that. I part of that promotion. So, so what was what was it like going? You know, at this point, going from just a wrestler to owning part of a promotion, and and then getting worked also into the feuds and, and still and still wrestling and everything, trying to balance uh-huh. it all. Uh, it was part of the business. Uh, the first time I got part of the territory, it was uh, I was twenty one years old. I was up in Canada, Fort Ontario. I mean, we got uh, 50% of the, of the territory 
and it was a handshake deal. Mm-hmm. And I did the booking, and Terry Garvin did the publicity, and uh, we ran the territory. And we were there for five years. Oh, wow. and, uh, so I, I started booking. I was 20 years old. I had all kinds of crazy ideas. <laughs> yeah, and, and usually when you see people in, in the booking and stuff like that, uh, usually they're they're on a different scale in their career. Usually they're towards the end of their career, but you were more towards, I want to say, I don't want to, you know, the beginning and stuff, only being 20 years old. So how did, did other people that were older look at that situation differently? No. Well, if you, uh, well, unless you were a clown, you know, yeah. if, I, if, I, if I could have wrestled, it could have worked, and uh, I had good ideas, and I, have you ever heard of Doc Kingsville? Yes, yes. Well, he was, he was 35 years old at the time, and uh, I wrote programs with him all around North Ontario, the North Ontario territories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you ever heard of, uh, the hangman? Uh, what was his name? He wrestled as a hangman in the, uh, Matt Gilmore. You ever heard of Matt Gilmore? Yes. Well, I wrestled angles all around, and he was 15, 20 years older than me. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, if you don't, if, back in the days, if you you don't work, I'm not bragging about myself, but I knew how to work. And, uh, I love the business, and, you know, they respected you. I never had a problem with anybody but one guy. The whole time I was in a wrestling business. I think we know who that guy is based off previous yeah. interviews. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of being uh, a part owner of ICW and everything, you had a notorious feud with Ox Baker. And yeah, there was another guy that's a, yeah, big yeah. guy. <laughs> and in, in, in one of your passings, in a match, you knocked out his dentures that were in his mouth and then stomped on them. Yeah, well, what happened is I, I gave him a knee drop across his throat. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess it must have been pretty solid because his teeth <laughs> came out of his mouth and flew about five feet away from his body. And I looked on the back and I saw those teeth. <laughs> I, just got, I just got up and stomped them to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say anything to you after that about stomping on him? Every time I ran into him, I heard about it. <laughs> uh, I used to drive him nuts because I used to stomp on his toes. And he had uh, he had bad toes. And I used to stomp on him. <laughs> uh, so, dur- during your territory days, before you joined Jim Crockett Promotions, you also had other feuds with... Other WWE Hall of Famers, of course, they weren't WWE Hall of Famers at the time, but that we knew that they were already going to have legendary careers. You worked with guys like Andre the Giant, Bob Orton Jr., Jake the Snake Roberts. What was it like? I mean, Andre the Giant being as big as he was, what was it like to feud with him? I beat him in Knoxville, Tennessee, in a handicap match. He had a partner, mm-hmm. and it's this is a fact. 1978, I believe, Knoxville. Yeah, it was booked. It was booked as a handicap. He had a partner against me. There was two of them. Yeah, yeah. And then we we sold out the Coliseum. It was sold out. Well, I had the uh, I had the name of one man gang, Ronnie Garvin. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
can't remember the guy's name, but it was his partner. Uh, uh, the whole family was wrestling. It was a wrestler. Buddy, Buddy, Buddy. That was the son of Buddy, uh, Buddy Fuller. What's his name? Uh, it's a younger one. The younger son of Buddy Fuller. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna try and look that up right now. No, 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 not, not Buddy Fuller, the brother of, uh, uh, God, I can't remember the name, but anyway, there was a Drilla Duke, I can't remember who my partner was. We had a tag team match, and um, I broke his hand, that guy. Oh, wow. I can't well, he came back in the cast, he had his hand wrapped up in the cast, mm -hmm. and he beat me, and uh, he challenged me, uh, he wanted me to sign a contract. I was on somebody. I think it was another big name. And, uh, oh, what it was that they tricked me. They knew that Andre the Giant was coming in. So, I said, I'll wrestle anybody. Don't care. I don't bring that from nobody. Well, they made me sign a contract. It was kind of a blank on one side. Yeah. And, uh, when I signed it, then they told me who I was wrestling, Andre the Giant. <laughs> I was I said, you're all crazy. <laughs> well, I said, well, let me change this. I'll accept the deal if you book this match as a handicap. Mm -hmm. You and other guys against me. And that's what we did. There was a, there was a reason for it. What, what was the reason for it? Well, because he challenged me and I got back because it was under the giant. I said, well, you might as well throw in another guy, a jabroni like you, and you're his partner, <laughs> and I'll accept the deal. Oh, you wow. know? Yeah. And then I beat him. That's incredible. Holy. Yeah, well, I was in 1978, and, uh, you know, he hadn't been around as much. And, yeah. You know, uh, back in those days, he, he hadn't been exposed to WWE, and, you know. But hey, we, we sold out. The wrestling business in the old days, it was about money. I don't know, I didn't never care about the glory, about the this and the that. That was about money. The paycheck, that's how you make your living. And, uh, you just do the best you can. You know. Yeah. And, uh, try to be realistic and knowing what the heck you're doing. Yeah, and, uh, you know, really to, to keep it, Realistic. I've talked to Greg the Hammer Valentine about this, and we're going to get to him in a, a little bit. Uh, he says, in order to make it look realistic, yeah, you do got to throw some stiff shots in there. Uh, did you ever, um, were, were you ever the type, you know, went to, you know, for the realism, throw stiff shots at all? <laughs> yeah, well, ask him. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
I mean, I was a part of wrestling and I didn't like in the old days. They put guys out there that barely could walk. They'd get in the ring and trip over in the ropes. You know, and uh, I guess they were hoping to have big careers and usually those guys didn't stay around very long. Yeah. But it was terrible to put guys like that on TV and it was embarrassing. Oh, well, they... So what you do is you just wrestle. Just tie them up and wrestle them and just uh, play with them and then uh, when you're tired of it, you just beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, mm. yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you watch wrestling today, but I think you'll see a lot more guys who don't look like they should be in there. Oh, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I don't watch. I haven't occasionally landed on the station that wrestling was on. I watched maybe five minutes of it. And first of all, I don't know any of them. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, there's some good ones. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There's some that, uh, <laughs> and that, basically today, they all do the same moves. Uh, that's, that's another thing that I just don't understand. I watched a couple of matches a long time ago, and one match goes in the ring, and then the next match goes in, and it does almost the same thing. Same maneuvers, this, this closed line. They don't know anything else but closed line. Uh, and I don't think they have any basics. You don't have to be a... a a world champion uh, amateur wrestler or, or, or an Olympic guy, but at least know the basics of wrestling, takedowns and, you know, stuff like that. And, and at least you look like you know what you're doing and you know how to wrestle. Yeah. You know, and, and then they, some of those guys throw punches. They should never throw a punch. They can't break an egg. You know. <laughs> I mean, she's like six inches from hitting the guy and the guy is, well, oh, yeah, that happened. That actually happened about a couple months ago with uh, Dustin Rhodes, Dusty's son. He uh, he was taking punches from a guy, but the guy was missing him by like six, seven inches. What yeah, well, yeah, my, 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 when I was wrestling, the guy hit me and didn't touch me. I hit him as hard as I could. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, well, I didn't hit him in the nose or bust his teeth and all that, but I guarantee he knew he got hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it makes both people, him and I, look bad. Yeah. You know, if you can't punch somebody, don't punch. You know, if you wrestle, it's pretty hard to see through, you know, unless you're so bad that you can't. But uh, wrestling, the wrestling holes, in and out of holes, and submission holes, and, I mean, uh, you can't see through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I agree well, 100%. I'm a, I'm an old-school wrestling fan. 70s, 80s, yeah. early 90s, that, that era. Because that's where, you know, 80s and 90s, that's where I grew up watching the sport. Um, yeah. So, it does, you know, for me personally, it makes it a little hard to watch today, but I, can st- I still watch because of... of well, my- I'm not lucky. I'm broken. I broke down in 62 and started. Uh, I went to Boston, I think, 64 or 63. Well, I can't remember exactly, but something like that. And it was you know, Boston. I was starving to death. I wrestled six nights a week for $55 a week. But, you know, you're learning. Yeah. You know, and every time you, back in those days, you were probably the only kid in the dressing room to wrestle. I was 17 years old, but I told everybody I was 19. And, uh, 
that was the only kid in the room. Everybody else was 35 or years old or older. You know, there was guys 45, even probably 50. And uh, they, most of them, a lot of them looked like a bunch of killers. They had big cauliflowered ears. And uh, it was intimidating. You just sat there, you know. They didn't speak to you. You didn't speak to them. Yeah. You know. And uh, back in those days when I started, didn't the world champion travel with a shooter with him in case he got challenged? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, guys that, could, that became world champion later on uh, probably would have never been in the 60s and 70s or even 50s because they really had to know how to wrestle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you know, you're traveling with the belt and you're, you're in another territory a thousand miles away from where where your base is. Uh, yeah, it can uh, it happen. It has happened. Yeah. You know. So they, they call it a uh, policeman, you know, they always had a, a shooter that uh, traveled with the, with the champion and sat in the corner in case somebody would uh, try to, uh, to beat him. Yeah, you know? yeah. Shoot on him, you know. Yeah. So, so it's totally different. Yeah, now now speaking of the, the, the days of, of territories, you know, the guys who traveled with their belts because they didn't know when they would get challenged. Uh, it, pr promoters of, of certain of, of NWA promotions would you know trade off wrestlers you know for other wrestlers and stuff that had belts to work other territories. What was your thought when uh, the change in, in territories kind of ended? Uh, you had signed with Jim Crockett Promotions in '84. What what was it like to you know having been part of the territories? And, and be part of wrestling with the transition into, you know, a solid just one NWA and then WWF and things like that? Well, you know, I, I go way back with the Crockett promotion. I went to, I think it was 67 or 68. I used to spend the winter one, one, one year I'd go down to Florida, the next year I'd go to Carolinas. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Crockett Sr., he really, he really liked me. I don't know how many times he talked. I was a kid. I was 22, 23 years old, uh, 21, whatever I was. And he called me in the office. You like it here? Yes, sir. He took care of me. He took very good care of me. He was a very honest guy. Yeah. And uh, he was like a father figure. You know, he asked me if I was happy there. You doing okay? You like it? Making enough money? You know. And uh, so when I went back, he rested. You know, I'd be gone sometimes for a year or two, but I always drifted back to Carolinas, you know, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after the, Mr. Crockett Sr. was gone, well, things changed. You know, things changed. Yeah. Usually that's the case. I mean, when there's a change, it doesn't mean the other person has the same ideas. The same, uh, and then we had, a, we had a couple of old bookers, you know. And uh, so anyway, I left a couple of times. And... Uh, you know, I, in 84, things were different. Yeah. But, you know, we, another thing, too, we had the luxury back then, you know, to tell a promoter to kiss your ass because there was 32 promotions across between Canada and the United States. Yeah. You know, you had British Columbia, and then you had Calgary, you know, Canada, I didn't want to go because, you know, it's too cold. But <laughs> 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 that reason. I love the South. I feel like, yeah. If you were stuck and you needed a job, you know, like uh, you 
go to Minnesota. I don't know how many times they called me in Minnesota, you know, and uh, I, I always kept it open. But uh, it's not a place I wanted to go live. Yeah. And uh, it's a track to the south. Once you go south, you don't go back home. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, it was a better, better way of living. I was always tight with money. You know, if you don't save money in life, you're going to be in nothing when you leave the business. And uh, so the sale was cheaper to yeah. live. Cheaper to live, uh, taxes, all the way around, housing, you name it. Uh, over a period of 25 or 30 years, I probably saved quite a bit of money by living in the South. You know, yeah. Because uh, I don't want to give it to politics. It's not that I'm against paying taxes and stuff like that. I don't want to give it to crooks. Hard earned money. Uh, but uh, anyway, well, that, that's a big luxury. 32 promotions. So, you know, you, you, you never was unemployed. If you was, it's because you didn't want to work. Yeah. Today, these new guys coming in, they don't have that luxury. I've had some guys ask me, you know, guys that break in, you know, when I go to some, these fan fests, and some guys say, what can I do? You know, I can I do? Well, you got to bust your butt, you know, work out, stay in shape, look like a wrestler. You know, if you got a pot belly and you can't only walk, and you're, you're out of breath in two seconds after you step in the ring, uh, you gotta, you got to make a big effort, put a lot of time in your business. It's like any other business. You build it. You know, yeah, yeah. You build, you, 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 you build a report with, with the boys. Uh, there was some jerks and jack offs, uh, but you got that in every every walk of life, you know. Yeah. And uh, guys like that, I usually just you know say hi, hi, and being uh, courteous, and uh, that was it. You know. Yeah. And uh, but there were more good guys and bad guys. It's, it's like that in everything. It's usually a whole lot better. Yeah. A lot of great guys, a lot of good friends in the years, and uh, guys that I still talk to today. You know, and there was some great talent. You know, and, and I tell guys, this is wrestling, it's almost like a dance. If you don't cooperate, what I'm allowed to dance. Don't step on my feet, don't step on yours, we're going to try to make fools out of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. You to, if you don't know how to dance, but if you learn how to dance and it's so smooth, don't you like to see two people dancing and it's so smooth and, and everything's perfect? Well, wrestling is like that. Yeah. You know, it clicks. Yeah. It clicks, you know. You got some guys that are clueless. I work with some guys who got in the ring that were clueless. I work with some guys that was just so enjoyable. My father. And, uh, what's his name? He just named his game. That's <laughs> one of Greg uh, Valentine. Uh, I even work with his dad. <laughs> yeah, once or twice, and uh, you know, and Mr. Perfect. Oh, that guy was great. You know, and Jake the Snake. I mean, and make money. You know, I would make a bet with Jake the Snake. We were all over Ohio and Michigan in the eighties, and Lord, uh, it was enjoyable. You know, you look forward to. Yeah. You know, and uh, let me tell you, Drake and I, we beat the shit out of each other with straps. We had strap match. I had ropes on my body for a year. Oh, I can <laughs> he, imagine. He, he, he did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he tells a story that he used to whip me with the belts and I'd get goosebumps. 
I got out of school. So there's no white for one. But your family don't have one. No, it, it was a gimmick to make money. And I made money. You know, I, I had done it before. So. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was different. Then later on, I did it uh, with Flair. Yes, yes, I was just uh, about to bring uh, that up. So, 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 see, it led to another thing. It was with one team, and, with, and then it led to something else. And I, you stretch it as long as you can, it's making money, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of Flair, you, you'd already um, earlier brought up how, uh, you know, you guys have a, a different views and opinions, I would, I, I would say. Um, I, I gotta ask, as a outside of you know uh, the beef, I guess. What was it like to work with Ric Flair? And I, I want to like read something real quick. Uh, in 2019, on his podcast, um, Jim Ross brought up the Ric Flair Ron Garvin feud and said that uh, as to why you got the shot and, and ended up winning, and he claimed that. Uh, Jim Crocker Promotions didn't get anyone prepared for Ric Flair, so they gave that spot to you. Do you feel that's right and or justified at all, or because I mean I well, know I mean, look, the money is all I care. Yeah, you know they they first of all it drew a hundred thousand dollar gate in in in, in Michigan. Okay, the, the building was jam-packed. It was a yeah. and we're gonna the company put it the screen by, uh, what's his name in New York, because he, he lost the pay-per-view. This was supposed to be a pay-per-view. And somehow the pay-per-view got shut down, and it had something to do with New York office. Okay. I don't know. What, so, there would have been great revenue. We just got the gate. Since the gate was $100,000. In the old days, that's all we had was the gate. Yeah. And, and which was good. $100,000 house was, you know, it was good. And, uh, anyway, there was a big war. And, uh, I think there was mismanagement uh, on somebody's part. And I think Dusty was, uh, a crazy booker. Mm -hmm. Uh, he had a lot of good ideas. He, maybe he meant well. But I'll tell you what, you, when you load up a card with 10 gimmicks, I mean, we had one, I forgot where we went, it was a cage, two-story, you know. And then I find out later that the building had charged $30,000 just to put that cage up. Well, the expenses in those big, those big cities and those big uh, coliseums are very high. Yeah. And then when you put 40 guys on a wrestling card, anybody can be booked. Yeah. You know, in the other days, I remember selling out some buildings. I mean, I was at the Booker when that happened, but the Bookers was, and, and they would uh, have a six-man card, eight-man card. Ten-man card was a big card. But they had workers. The guys that they would take people for 30, 40, 50 minutes in the ring. You know? Yeah. And uh, so, and give a hell of a show, and the people went home, and they were happy. And, of course, you don't have the luxury today. How many of them can go an hour? You know how many hour match I've had in my life? My God, I can't even count them. Yeah, now, you know? that, now that's considered a specialty match. Yeah, and Rick Flair and I, we'd have two in one day. Wow. I've had two in one day. Wow. Well, Sunday afternoon and Sunday night, 
Yeah. Honey, this is not going to get any old days. You know, $2 ticket. Yeah. Two fifty. Yeah. You know, even back then, that was big money. Yeah. Was, you know, especially if you had a family of four or five or six. So, you know, without the fans, there would be no wrestling. And so, without wrestling, there would be no fans. Anyway, that's the way I look at the business. And, uh, all that glory and all being in the Hall of Fame is great. It's just, it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> I can't put everybody in the Hall of Fame, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have to put a lot of jabronis in there, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and it doesn't mean they're the best. They just, they, 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 at their time, maybe they were, you know? And uh, most of them are. Most of them are great, great entertainers, great athletes. Yeah. But then, uh, parts, parts of it, stuff like that, never, never, like I say, I left home, that was a job. I didn't go out drinking a party all that long. I went to bed, it's the next day, I was in the gym, you know, and, uh, it's like if you, some guys probably treated it like it was a vacation. You know, staying in the most expensive hotel. Well, you're just spending a night. You know? Yeah. Why do you have to spend uh, $300 for a room? So, but anyway, there's so many ways of looking at life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you learn from you learn from watching others. Yeah, and, and it, you know, you brought up the the Hall of Fame and stuff, uh, and, and you've wrestled many, many Hall of Famers. I'm talking Andre, Jake the Snake, Greg Valentine, Jimmy Snuka. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, if WWE ever called for you to go in the Hall of Fame, would you accept? Oh, yeah, probably. I wouldn't, uh, yeah, it's an honor. I mean, I'm not degrading it. What I, I mean, uh, I'm to do is just, you know, you can't put everybody in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't turn it down. You know, it's an honor. You know, even if somebody gives you a plaque, you know, yeah. it's an honor. Well, you mean, know, or, or, or some wrestling fans, you know, they say, I don't know how many of them. Thank you for all the entertainment. You know, well, it makes you feel good. You know, you, you entertain them, and they got some their money, and uh, you have to do it. Yeah, I, and like I said, I've looked back at your career, and I've seen, like, all the NWA belts and stuff that you've had. Did anyone ever give you the nickname Mr. NWA or anything like that? Because you held, it seems like, a lot of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, way back in the 60s in Florida... Uh, I had all kinds of belts in Georgia and in Georgia too. And, uh, well, I, well, I had nicknames. I was the one man gang yep. when I was in Tennessee. You know, I was the one man gang. And then, uh, uh, then, uh you know who, uh, who uh, gave me the name, uh, Hansis Tone? No. It was, uh, Gordon Soley. Okay. Gordon Soley, I was in Georgia. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, he's the one that came up with that. He, he was a great announcer. He was probably one of the best. Yeah. I, I have to agree with that. And, you know, yeah. speaking of your time in, in, in professional wrestling and everything, um, how did, how did you, did you enjoy your time when you were in the World Wrestling Federation? Because, I mean, you, you came in, uh, is Rugged Ronnie started with the 89 Royal Rumble. You got to be part of WrestleMania 5. 
you had amazing. Yeah, they give, they give me the name, which I didn't care. I mean, that, that's a good name. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. But I think, I think they wanted something different. They didn't want something from the NWA, you know, which was fine. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I had a great time. Well, I did very well. I mean, I, <laughs> I was happy. I had my flu myself. I had my own airplane and I flew a lot of guys. Raymond Rougeau flew a lot with me and some of the boys. I always had a plane full of guys and uh, flew to the West Coast, flew everywhere. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, it was about a two years, two and a half years, two years, something like that. And, uh, oh, it was, it was time for me to go. Uh, I did not really, didn't feel like I fit in New York, you know. Yeah. And I like, like, well, there was so many things going on. You know, got angles going left and right, and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that, uh, and I, I'm the one that suggested that we were lose, we lose and leave town, and I came back as a referee. That was my idea. Yeah. Because, uh, well, and, and, uh, Pat took it to, uh, to Vance, and it was okay. They changed a couple of little things, you know, they got a punch, you know, their way. Yeah, it's understandable. It's their show. You know? But yeah. uh, I'm agree with that. I mean, that's what put me on the pay-per-view. See, when you go to a place, you got to analyze, how can I make money here? Well, I looked, if you don't want a pay-per-view, that's a big pass paycheck. You know, you got three, four pay-per-views, and, and you've made your year. <laughs> and uh, because the house shows don't pay the pay-per-view. Yeah. So, so I sat back there and I, and I talked to Greg and I mentioned it to him and he says, "Hell yeah, man!" Because you know, I knew I could do it with him, you know, and it would be good. Remember, we had submission match, we had all kinds of stuff, and uh, so he liked it. And I saw Pat Patterson Pat was helping with the booking and was close to Vince. Vince, I guess, okayed it. Somebody did, and. Uh, so that's how it meant to be. And a lot of people say, oh, you're a referee. Well, <laughs> it's a referee. It, it was the means to the right Valentine by screwing with him during the matches. Yeah, you know, yeah. And uh, it drive him crazy. And then he was asking me to be reinstated. He was asking them to reinstate me so he could, he could kick my ass, which is logical, you know. And then I came back. And uh, anyway, it lasted for quite a while. Yeah. You know, and we went around in a lot of towns with that, you know, because you follow the TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the end of it, there was a submission. Remember, we worked, I don't know, I had the thing about his leg. He had a leg brace, whatever you call it. Yeah, uh, on his shin. And then I came up with a hammer jabber. Yeah. Um, well, I wear one of a leg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. For fans listening, the, the the story that that Ron is telling, um, the the feud with Greg Valentine, they had a televised match uh, to which Garvin won in '89. Uh, immediately afterwards, Valentine challenged you to a retirement match, to which you lost, but then you became a referee. Um, however, fans. Garvin didn't give up on Valentine because you messed with him quite a bit. And at SummerSlam, oh yeah, Valentine. I even announced. I was an announcer one night, and yes. I called him as the best here in the world. <laughs> yeah, 
Valentine took on Hercules. Uh, Valentine used his feet on the ropes, to which yourself announced Hercules as the winner of the match. Uh, and then afterwards, you announced Hercules as the winner. Valentine knocked him out in the in the ring, and then you went in the ring and knocked out Valentine. And that's when Valentine asked for Garvin, yourself, to be reinstated, to which, yeah. at the 1990 Royal Rumble, uh, yourself and Valentine had a submission match, which you won, which ended the feud. Yeah. Yeah, which was uh, a pretty lengthy feud, which nowadays we don't see that kind of stuff. Nowadays, well, you gotta, you, you gotta have good ideas, you know. If you don't think ahead and see, you gotta do logical. This is all logical, you know. Unless I gotta leave, well, I don't want to leave, but I'm forced to leave, so I go get me a license to referee. So I'm still involved, but I'm gonna be next to Greg Bell. I'm in the ring as a referee. I mean, it's all logical. Yeah. You know, and so I, I was driving him crazy, and fans liked it. Yeah. Now, one of the things you brought up while in WWF is you you flew the wrestlers around. I don't know how if how much fans know, but you're an accomplished pilot. How long have you been flying for? I started flying in 1972. I owned three airplanes in my life. And then when I retired from wrestling in 1990, I flew cargo for 13 years. Oh, wow. Big cargo flights for 13 years. I had the best time of my life. Oh, wow. So, sometimes I have to pinch myself. I live my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, between between going from Jim Crockett Promotions to the WWF, you were also part of uh, the American Wrestling Association and the World Wrestling Council, which, um, you know, we knew Kanye was the one for AW, in AWA and then World uh, wrestling Council was Carlos Colon. Did you enjoy your time in those promotions? I wasn't there very long. I can't only remember. Really, I think I was there a week or two. Alright. Well, it, it didn't last very long. As a matter of fact, I didn't live there. So, uh, I, I was flying in and what happened is I wrestled a great Yanni back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, late I want to say, I want to say 75, something like that. And we wrestled in Griffin, Georgia. And I never forgot that. And him and I, I, never, I had never seen him, he had never seen me. Mm-hmm. We, knew, we knew about each other, but we never had met. But I wrestled him, and I swear to God, he was better than most main events. People stood the whole match for some reason. We clicked, I clicked, whatever we were doing. And he couldn't work. The guy was, uh, you know. And uh, and there's a guy who didn't have a great body. But, you know, it's not about the body. It's about wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know. And he looked athletic. You know, he didn't have a big old belly hanging over. You know, and he could move and rest. And when he had the best match, I swear, I couldn't believe it myself. It just clicked. People were standing for the whole duration. And uh, he got with me and he says, you got to come up to Minnesota. Well, I, I, I would have loved to, but I was happy 
know? Yeah. So I never went. I never went. He called me one time, and uh, I was going to go. I was booked. Now, that was way later. That was, uh, 84, no, 85. Whatever it was. No, that was in 76. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, I was working for Crockett, and George Stock was a booker. He was, uh, he should have never been a booker. <laughs> <laughs> no, he should have never been a booker. He, he got a name as a good booker because, well, you know what a main event was? He got the talent he had around him. He had Wallace McDaniel, he had Johnny Valentine, he had some best guys in the business. And most of those angles and finishes were dirt angles and finishes that they had done in Texas. They were all around. They were, when they went to Texas, they made a force. They came to the Carolinas, they made a lot of money. They were doing the same thing. You know, and it was their idea. And, you know, you talk about great talent. You talk about Johnny Valentine and Wallace McGann. You know, they, they could draw some money. And uh, I don't know if you ever seen their matches, but... Uh, <laughs> I told some of those guys, I said, you think I was stiff? You don't work with Greg Valentine. I mean, uh, Johnny Valentine. You would have known what stiff was. Yeah, anyway, I was, uh, I told him, I said, well, I'll come up to Minnesota. Told Greg, he asked me. So uh, I had a beef with uh, a booker there, uh, George Scott. And uh, he screwed me. And, uh, so I told him, I said, uh, I'll give a, I give a notice. And I says, uh, you know, very short. I said, but I says, uh, I don't want to do no TV. I don't want to do this house show for a week, and I'm going. Okay, okay, okay. Well, they called me mm-hmm. and tried to con me. And they did. They called me about uh, wrestling Moscow on TV. Well, I like Angelo. Angelo's. You know, it was a real athlete, you know, big guy. And I said, well, okay, it ain't gonna hurt. So I wrestled on the team, and he beat me. And, uh, so I'm leaving, and, uh, somehow somebody called me. And you know what it was? They told me Angelo Moscow was starting a day before I was starting in Minnesota. They had sent a tape where he beat me to, to Minnesota. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how nice of a guy George Scott was. Wow. You know, so I called Greg, I said, well, cancel. Oh, no, 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 they won't go. I said, oh, I'm sorry for that. Well, I, I never went, except at the very end there, where uh, I went a few times up there. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember much of it. So anyway, that's the story of it. <laughs> well, that's, that's the way I went into business. Controls a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, wow. That's um, why I had an old timer told me, save your money, kid. Yeah. He says, once you get six months of money saved, and you survive for six months, you know, you're not in the street, you got money, you're eating, you got a roof over your head, and you can tell him to kiss your ass. So, you know, and leave. And uh, that's what I got. Yeah. I listened to that guy. Yeah, wow. That's, yeah. And it shows what you have to... Nothing, nothing like being independent. You know, when they know they got you, in any business, it's like that. Yeah, and 
I mean, it shows you were smart with money. You were, you were able to retire at 45, like you said, which is incredible. Well, yeah, man. Otherwise, you, otherwise you wasted a life. Yeah. You did all those, all, all those pilots and all the traveling all over the place, never home, and then you wind up with nothing? Jeez, oh, that would be a little waste of life. The wasted life to me, I mean, and you don't need to be worth $30 million either, you know, when you're comfortable and you, you know you're not going to run out of money if you live to be 100. Yeah, I don't even know how you would spend $30 million in a lifetime. Yeah, well, you know, I know some people who can spend it probably a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you know, maybe oh, in one day. Maybe in one day, because if you go buy a $30 million jet, you're broke. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no. <laughs> then, you don't, then you don't even have a pilot to fly you around. Yeah. <laughs> Ron, I want to take these uh, last few minutes that I, I, I have with you here. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Nick of Captain's Corners uh, for, for hooking, hooking us up with the interview. I would also like to take these last few minutes uh, for you to take any time to say anything you want to the fans. Uh, if you have any social media, please go ahead let the fans know where they can find you if you have any and uh, and we'll go from there alright well like I gotta say I've always uh, respected the wrestling fans always and uh, uh, to me they're part of my life you know when I go sign autographs I got guys that know more about my career than, than I can remember <laughs> <laughs> and, and the great life I had is because of them you know and uh, I don't want to work hard, but, uh, you know, they're the one to spend the money. They're the one to keep the matches. So, you know, the fans, uh, there's not like good wrestling fans. And, uh, say hi to Nick for me. Uh, you know, when you, when you see Nick, tell him I said hi. I will. I and, have, uh, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm not a, I don't go online and all that. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm an old fart. I still operate with smoke signals. <laughs> so on a windy day it's not good to communicate yeah I don't uh, you know I'm not uh, very savvy with computers and all of that stuff and uh, to tell you the truth it's funny I, I don't even have a desire to, you know hey I, I, I don't blame you uh, to be honest with you all this technology and all these people I, I sometimes I sit and uh, watch people Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. 
uh, it was a real honor to speak with you and to do this. And uh, hopefully down the road I can have you back on again. Sure. Anytime. All right. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I want to I thank you for coming on and, and doing the interview today. And I will definitely make sure that I let Nick know that you said hi. Yeah, and tell somebody to correct that Pat Patterson trait. <laughs> I, I will. I will. <laughs> because, uh, you know, <laughs> I went down, I don't know, four, five, six, seven different times while we were and I said, hey, what did they get that at? <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned out that the guy's name was Pat, so maybe, maybe they thought it was Pat Patterson. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Gerard, Gerard and Patterson is, uh, Beautiful words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, my English is not that good. So. Yeah. <laughs> Could be my fault, too. Uh, but I, uh, you know, thank you for coming on and thanks for doing the interview with me. It's a pleasure. Well, you take care of yourself. Have a good one. You too.